Black Tech Green Money isn't just about telling the stories of successful black entrepreneurs. It's also about giving actionable and wealth building strategies that help you protect the future of our communities. That's why we're pleased to be supported by State Farm Insurance. State Farm also believes that we must invest in our communities to achieve economic growth by sponsoring programs like the AXO, which rewards high school students for their academic achievements. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're looking for the most epic place on earth, let's start at the base of a massive waterfall. Then trek through the thick jungle. Then climb to the peak of a snowy mountaintop. Then once you get there, keep going. Because with intelligent 4x4 and 7 drive modes and a Nissan Pathfinder, the search is the real adventure. Available feature. Intelligent 4x4 cannot prevent collisions or provide enhanced traction in all conditions. Always monitor traffic and weather conditions. This is your moment. Your time to shine. Your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. What's good, family? I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And this is Street Politicians, the place where the streets and politics meet. The place where the streets and politics meet. What's good, mice? What's going on, Tamika? We are traveling. Um, I was on vacation. I had a very long, amazing vacation, but we're back, back and loaded. Um, and unfortunately, the internet does not want me to be great today. So I think I have a pixelated view, but hopefully folks can hear me and see me well enough because uh, today's show is going to be really powerful. Um, it's something that has been impacting my life and, and something that's touched me for so long. We've been talking about the issue of violence and how violence is on the rise across the nation and particularly looking at what's happening in our communities. I don't think we've ever stopped talking about violence in the Black community, um, but we know that there is an uptick. Uh, the pandemic has caused so many different issues for so many people, um, and we're seeing violence at an all-time high. Although, if you listen to the stats, there's some, um, you know, some things that might be a little different. But anyway, uh, we're seeing uh, some dangerous numbers coming out in terms of what's happening across the country uh, with guns and with violence in general. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be really, really focused on this issue and bringing people from different states and different areas, folks who deal with different types of issues that may cause uh, people to pick up guns. We're going to be talking to mothers, we're going to be talking to people who've actually pulled the gun, who've been shooters in the past. We're going to be talking to folks who have been, uh, who are victims of gun violence, um, and also elected officials and other community members who are working to make a change. Um, and so it's not the type of show that you can do in one week, 
We had a great show just recently where we talked about uh, the issue of gun violence. We had our brother uh, Shant Duke McFadder from GMAC in Brooklyn on to talk about how he works on gun violence. And actually, Shant Duke lost his brother, um, you know, in and in in a terrible incident that took place in a nightclub in New York City where he was shot and killed on camera. Um, and so we've been covering the issue already, but we're really going to be intentional going forward about making sure that all the different elements of how we deal with violence in our communities is out there. So people won't be able to say they didn't know or they don't know what to do and how they can support. Uh, we wanna pull folks in to the world that we live in every day because we are actively engaged in the movement to, to curb and try to end to the degree um, of which we can gun violence and, and violence in general. Um, also, mass shootings. Mass shootings is a real thing. You know, some people believe that mass shootings is only something that happens in white schools and white communities. But if you think about the shootings that have taken place in grocery stores, malls, and other very public places, anyone can be harmed. And to be clear um, on street politicians, we don't want mass shootings to happen to white folks either. Uh, we wanna try to figure out what is causing this type of disturbance and danger um, in all sectors of our communities and of our lives. And so, um, you know, I am, uh, I guess excited might not be the best word, but I am excited to have an opportunity to showcase the work that I've been involved in, that we've been involved in for so many years and also to give an opportunity for people to speak on solutions and things that can be done uh, to, to fight this terrible, terrible epidemic uh, within our society. Yeah, definitely. When I, when I look at these numbers, you know, they say more than 230 people were fatally shot across the U.S. on the 4th of July weekend, and about 618 people were injured by gun violence and more than 500 shootings across the country. Like, that's crazy. I, I I was just um, unfortunately I was on the internet, and there's a, this vi video that's been viral, and it's about two young men, you know, and they're sitting there talking to each other, and one of them just gets shot, like literally while they're on camera on live conversation on Instagram, the boy walks up and gets shot. It, it sounds about eight shots, and he was pronounced dead on on the scene when you know when the ambulance showed up, and it's just like the disregard for human life and it's dealing is with the trauma, you know, what the epidemic and the pandemic has caused. And, and, and when you look at trauma, you know, me being formerly incarcerated, understanding what being secluded, right? Being the reason why we fought against to end the box and end um, solitary confinement because we understood the ramifications of that, right? A lot of people that come out of those situations come out more traumatic, come out way more violent. They don't want to be around people. They have, you're dealing with mental issues, you know, you're dealing with anxiety, you're dealing with all types of stress and those things have caused it. So we're looking at the ramifications of what came after the epidemic and the pandemic. So, you know, I think it's really important that we have this conversation and we bring people from all different levels. Like you said, we're going to have some government officials. We're going to have people who actually were shooters. We're going to have victims. We're going to have family members. We're going to have everybody so we can talk about this in totality because it's really something that needs to be focused on. I don't think that, you know, I think that people are talking about it, but I don't think 
that people are delving in to what are the causes of this violence and and how do we actually stop the violence? What are the things that's needed to stop? Because everybody's saying, oh, there's a problem, you know, and, and, and a lot of people want, oh, we just need more police. And, and, and I'm so anti that because like I always say, police have never stopped violence in our community. Only thing they've ever done is arrest the people who committed the violence, right? So we we don't need just people being arrested. We 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 trying to get we trying to intercede before there is an actual crime committed. We want to figure out how do we mediate situations. How do we give these people in the communities the resources needed so they don't have to feel like violence? How do we get the mental health situations that they need to make sure that they're okay? So I'm just glad that we're going to be really delving into this over the next few weeks, and you know I think it's it's very going to be very informative. I hope that people are paying attention, you know, because this is a topic that is is, is definitely is literally between life and death. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. And it it makes me um, think about like how I got started, you know, outside of my personal issue, which, you know, everybody knows or at least many people as have listened to me at any point know that uh, my son's father was shot and killed. And um, oftentimes people say, well, you know, I can't believe that you guys don't work on violence in the community and whatever. And I think a lot of times there are some people who are just trolling, but there are other people who really just don't know. They don't know because either, you know, one one thing I think um, that's important is that folks are, they only know what they see on the media every single day. And so, when a Breonna Taylor is killed or George Floyd or the names go on and on and on, you're going to see that more often because unfortunately it's the media that makes it, uh, it they make it salacious um, sort of, which is unfortunate to have to use that language, but it's true. They, in, in, in many ways, um, not so much glorify, but they certainly exploit uh, these issues. And then, of course, you have many people who run to these incidents and get involved because of the fact that, um, you know, it is high profile and it, and it is in those moments that you see the intersection of racism that is really, really present and it's clear it, it, as it connects with the loss of black life or the loss of brown life. And so folks find their ability to fight in the struggle in those moments. Uh, they feel like, yes, this is this is when I get to confront the system. But in our situation, and for as long as I can now remember in terms of my career, and as long as I have been working in this movement, I have understood that the violence happening in our community is also a form of systemic oppression. That racism and white supremacy and all of those things play a role in why the Ray Rays and, and others of our community feel like violence may be the only choice. And so we have to look at confronting the system on many different levels because once, once we confront the system, so many different things will be corrected, if you will, in our, in our society. I believe that confronting the system gives us the ability, as they say, to take one stone and hit several different licks. Um, and that's and that for me is why this show and and this 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 time period is so important because I think we get the opportunity to educate people on how they can also be a part of this movement. Now, 
What I do understand though, and what I will never ever allow people to make us feel is, is like, if you are in the police accountability movement, you are no good if you're not also in the movement to end gun violence or in the education space or in the housing space. I think each person has the right to be in the fight and to focus on the thing that is most passionate for them and the thing that they have some level of expertise in and what impacts them on a daily basis. I do not think that we should get into trying to force folks that, well, if you do this one thing, what the only thing that will make you credible is if you work on these other issues as well. I think it's a false narrative. I think it is a, a form, it is being used, if you will, as a way to uh, to diminish our movements on many different levels. Um, we all have something that has impacted us, has touched us in a certain way. And, you know, I, I was online one day, I won't, I think we already talked about the individual, so we won't bring up his name today. I saw, you know, this person on a TV show, again, won't name him today, on Twitter basically saying, oh, you know, we get so upset about everything else, but does black violence or, you know, the death of black people, particularly a young black girl, does that mean anything to us? And I find that offensive. I find it offensive because there are a number of activists who are out here every single day who really don't work in the police accountability space. A lot of them, some of them do, but many of them are deeply in the gun violence awareness and, and really working to combat gun violence. They are out there every single day. They do protests. They show up at their elected officials' offices. They organize. They do a great deal of work, but we don't help them. We don't support them in the ways in which we should. And I say we as a greater community because me personally and you personally, my son, we do actually support them. We do actually help to um, bring their the, the fights that they're involved in, um, you know, to bring more awareness. You have led several marches and, and other uh, uh, occasions and efforts to try to bring uh, gang members together and to and to to actually mitigate violence i've watched you in the projects late at night working with erica ford and others to try to address some of the issues that's happening like really i mean in the details the granular details of going out there and talking to young men not just standing up at a podium but literally being in the middle of two people who could kill each other the next minute not the next day not the next week but the next minute and so we do do that work, but as a greater community, we do not focus as much of our attention on helping these individuals who are out there doing that work every day. And that's where I think we need to put more of our efforts, not in saying that if someone is doing gun violence work, that they're they are no good if they're not working as much on uh, you know, on some other area, I think what we need to do is focus on uplifting those who are actually doing the work because there are thousands, thousands of people who are out here with organizations and other initiatives and campaigns to help deal with gun violence. So that's what I have to say on that. That's pretty much it. I think for me, man, it's, it's just, it's really just disingenuous when people make that argument It's just to try to discredit you know, or because they don't want to do any work, right? It's it's a lazy argument. It's like all lives matter, 
You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's just something to distract from what's going on. And it's like, it's every, it's so much violence in, in, this, in our communities that we deal with every day. I know how your inbox is flooded with people about this happened and this happened and this happened. And unfortunately, we can't talk about everything, right? Because what happens is it gets overwhelmed. And this one, when we're trying to focus on this and we just keep on talking about all of the things that happen, we, we don't have the capacity. No one organization, no one individual has the capacity to talk to talk about every act of violence that goes on in the community. So what happens is people want to utilize that to discredit the fact that you're talking about something. And they don't they don't look at the fact that it's not that you're, especially in our case, it's not that we talk about the cases that are getting highlighted. It's that the cases that we talk about tend to get highlighted. Right. We don't jump on cases that everybody's, oh, let's do this. It's not what we do. You know, we, we see a need for something. If we find we find some, a family member or someone that we know that's internet, you know, in, t in contact with family members, contacts us and say, hey, we need help with this. And we see the significance. We're like, damn, this is something that we really need to get on top of, you know. And, 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 and another thing is we, we're fighting against a system that has not figured out how to have reprimanding and how to have consequences for the system, right? This, unfortunately, we know that when Ray Ray shoots Johnny, he's going to do jail time when he gets caught. This is We're actually advocating for the system to be held accountable. And we also want the resources and things needed in our communities so that we can stop the violence in our communities. The police are being paid to protect and serve us. The police have an oath that they live up. These are professionals who went to school, they've studied, they went to courses, they understand how to interject, they're supposed to have de-escalation tactics. All of these things are supposed to be in play. So when we talk about that, it's not to diminish the fact that Johnny and Ray Ray are shooting at each other because we're going to deal with that. But it's a different method in which we deal with that. Because John John, we understand that they're dealing with mental health. They don't have resources. They're gonna they're gonna do life in prison when they and this is a that's why the jails are overwhelmed with people who look like us because there's accountability for those individuals. We're looking at a system who does not have accountability. We're looking at a system where Officer Johnson decides that he's going to shoot and kill somebody. There's a very little chance that he's going to be held accountable for that, right? So these are two different issues. Yes, they are definitely both black murder, and we we want to fight for them, but they have to be fought on two different fronts, and they have to be fought two different ways. So do not try to diminish the fight that we have to try to fight that the system is held accountable for killing us, and and, and then try to interchange it or interconnect it with the fight that we have in trying to stop the, the violence in our own communities. Yes, they are definitely both violence, but they're two different fights. So stop trying to connect all of them and try to make it seem like if we fight for one, we can't fight for both or we don't fight for both. No, I, and I agree with you. And I'll just say this really quick point. I think that one thing we know is that if we are able to win in our efforts to defund police and refund our communities, that is one way that the two things connect. Because if we can take resources out of the $6 billion budget in a place like New York City that police officers at this point now enjoy, that the police department is able to draw down on a $6 billion budget, if we're able to take a few billion dollars of that budget away 
and give it to our communities to build, to uplift, to empower our people, we do believe that um, it will help to mitigate much of the violence that we see. And that's why we will never stop talking about defunding police. No matter what folks say, the word they don't like, fine. Come up with any word you want and I support it. As long as the word is attached to taking the resources and moving them to um, our community. Before we go to the next segment and have our special guest join, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative. The 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. That's how we own it! So you know what, what, what my thought of the day is for today? I have a friend who's a Republican and um, I follow him on social media. I don't really know if his 
him being Republican plays a role in this thought. But it's important to mention that for me because he and I often have debate. However, he's a great guy. He's in New York. Um, he's a very, he's a, uh, uh, he's not really an elected official, but he's worked in government and he's a pretty powerful person. And so I noticed that lately he's been posting the shootings and, you know, the aftermath of these violent situations. He's been posting stories that I don't even know about um, in the media that shows, you know, young girl, young man or whatever, ma massive shootings where multiple people are hurt in the hood. And he's been saying, you know, what the hell are we going to do about this? He obviously is extremely frustrated and um, and he should be because. Uh, what we're seeing happen in this moment is definitely, absolutely um, unacceptable. And it's happening all too often. Um, you know, but the other day I saw a post that he put up about a white woman who was attacked and mauled by, mauled, I guess, by a white man. And, um, you know, the woman said just out of nowhere, this man attacked her. And the one thing I will say is that this guy, my my friend, he is an equal opportunity person who's frustrated about everything. He gets frustrated with the Republicans. He certainly was not a Trump supporter. Um, you know, he gets frustrated with the Democrats. He's all he's 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 always um, you know bringing attention to things that's happening that are, are wrong. But the statement he made as a part of this particular post about the white man who harmed this white woman was, at what point it, are we going to stop and deal with the mental health issues happening in our nation? And I sat with that and I said, I'm gonna write him, which I haven't done yet because I wanted to come here and talk to you and get your uh, feelings. I didn't, you and I haven't discussed this. I wanna understand why is it that when that people seem to go automatically to punitive measures because he said lock them up when they've been shooting you know when he sees shootings and bad things happening lock them up you know these guys need to be caught you can't defund the police when you have this type of behavior where are the cops they need all of that but when it came to this white man attacking a white woman his thing was when are we going to deal with mental health services and I think for me, my thought of the day is that we need mental health support in the black community today more than we probably ever have. Because coming out of this pandemic, as we have been saying, and we'll talk about more during the show, people have been harmed in real substantive ways being locked in to their homes, um, you know, uh, having beefs that have now started online because people weren't out interacting in the street. They don't have jobs. They have family members who may have died. Uh, they have lost in general. And as you used to say all the time, just watching the news every day had a mental impact, a negative mental impact on all of us because of the fear and, uh, you know, just feeling so, it was, it was uncomfortable. So why don't people see the need for us to have the mental health support that they automatically see when it comes to white people? You want me to answer that? 
Sure. It's the same reason why, you know, when there was a, a, the, the, the war on drugs, you know, and, and the crime laws were to, to lock us up. And then when the drugs went to the white neighborhoods, it became a health crisis, right? It's the same because, unfortunately, Black people have been dehumanized. You know, I seen, I actually seen uh, a, a video going around and it's this young man talking on the video and he's talking how there's a gene in black people that gives them perplexity to violence. Like I forgot the name of the gene, but he literally gave the name of the gene and said that black people have this gene in them that makes them naturally more violent. I mean, listen, it's the dumbest shit I've ever seen because history, history shows you who's been more violent, who's been more prying about. So we, that, that, but I'm trying to tell you, it's the mentality, right? And that's what it is for me. And it's not so much a political party. It's not Democrat, Republican. It's the Republican mind state, right? The, the mind state of Republicans is those who are the least of these are the problem, Right. Mm. That is the that is the mindset that people have encompassed. They have encompassed that when you go to these these neighborhoods where people have nothing and they're poor, and it's because it's something wrong with them. It ain't because the structure, the system has created that. It is those people are bad people, and we need to get rid of them. And in their mind states, get rid of them. We need to get rid of them. It's one way we need to lock them up. We need to do whatever we need to do, but we we just don't need them around hurting our good people. So when you see the white people who you automatically attribute, because we've already, most of black people think that the white man's ice is colder, right? So when you see a, a white man who most of the time you see him being portrayed in a positive light, he's portrayed as a businessman, they own the companies you be at, they live in all the nice neighborhoods, you can't attribute anything other than there has to be something mentally wrong with this individual, right? So you you attribute that to a white person because in your mind these are good successful people who have everything what else would make them just be violent when you look at black people you say these are people who come from nothing they in the worst neighborhoods this and that they everything that we've ever been taught about this species these people this human species that we they've they've somehow eliminated us from some level of humanity right mm -hmm. everything that we've been taught about them shows us negativity. So we just don't even want to be around that. We want to help the white man because we see that there has to be some mental issues that can be changed. But in our mind, what we've been shown about black people our whole lives is everything negative. You can't help them. We just need to lock them up and get rid of them. And that's it. And that's that's what the mindset comes from. So even as a black man, when you when you share Republican values, right, even as a good person, is mean that you have been indoctrinated into a mind state that makes you believe that even your own people are the problem. You don't even want to say it. You you don't say it publicly because you want to because to believe that you when you are a successful black man, right? That that luck didn't play a part. That positioning, that timing, that all the things that you to not believe that you're an exception to that rule. To, when you when you can look in and say the majority of people that look like me do not have the same opportunities and resources and things that I've had. If you if you have conditioned your mind to believe I made it out, everybody can make it out. Once you get that mind state, 
right? Once you've indoctrinated that mind state, then you, you've disconnected yourself from the reality of 90 more percent of Black people. You know, once you start realizing you're not the, the the rule, you're the exception, and you and you stop realizing that, then you you you've gone somewhere else, and you can't really help us. Mm-hmm. It's impossible for you to help us because the mentality and the strategies that you think can help us can't. Wow, it's pretty deep, pretty deep. But let's help ourselves by making sure that you know one of the bigger issues that we're dealing with are the economics in our community. And that's why we've been using our platform to ensure that people know about black businesses, small businesses, um, so that people are out here and able to go and continue to support, 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 support those folks who have held out through this entire pandemic. They were already probably struggling and, you know, struggling with trying to find their way as a small business, but certainly over the last year, been even more so if you want to help us in any way to address the issues happening in our community one of the main things that you can do is support black businesses because we hire our people more we give more opportunities to um you know those folks who look like us and um it takes us off the street right it takes a a small business owner off the street and 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 puts them in a position where they're able to take care of themselves and they don't have to resort to any form of negativity or crime in order to survive that's how we own it. So we have a, a beautiful guest with us today, someone who has been through a lot. You know, we don't really talk about how women are impacted by gun violence. We talk about how brothers are locked up because of gun violence, how brothers are losing their lives, but Black women are definitely impacted. They are victims of it. They've seen it. They are mothers who've lost children. And today, who we have with us today is Miss Patience Murray. Now, I first met Miss Patience Murray at an event that a friend of mine, Miss Maggie Carey, was doing called Wounded But Alive. And it was a, a room full of women who had been impacted, who had been shot, who had lost loved ones. It was one of the most emotional rooms I've ever been in. I, I actually started shedding tears just hearing their stories. You know, there were women who had lost their sight, women had got shot in the eyes, women who were had bullets still inside them. There's so many different issues that I never had talked about or even experienced. You know, so this is one of the most life-changing rooms I've ever been in. Hopefully we'll have our sister Maggie to talk about her foundation and what it represents her being a survivor herself. But today we have the beautiful Miss Patience Mary, who is a survivor of the shooting in the Pulse nightclub situation that happened in Orlando, Florida in the year 2016. It was all over the news. And um, she is one of the survivors of that. Um, Unfortunately, her sister was one of those who did not survive that situation. So she survived actually the shots as being wounded and and then had to deal with the loss of her sister. So this is going to be something that is very um, life-changing and and I'm just glad and honored to have you with us today, Patience. Well, I'm so blessed to be here. Thank you. Patience, we're so sorry about your sister. You know, I saw you grab your chest and I'm sure that it never gets better. You know, that it's just constantly a feeling of Um, You know, just why do we even go that night? What else could we have done? You know, all the things that you probably are experiencing that never, ever go away. And I think 
too many people don't understand what it feels like to lose um, a loved one in general, but specifically to lose a loved one um, in the midst of something that has now become such a high profile uh, event. Unfortunately, um, you know, there's a difference. It is, you know, there, there are shootings, there's murder, there's all types of things that take place. But when it is in the midst of something that becomes a media issue or a big uh, media moment, it, it takes on another layer because you're constantly reliving it. You're constantly having to talk about it. You're constantly having people wanting to probe for their own reasons, not necessarily because they really care about you and or your loved one. Um, and you wrote a book. And I want you to talk about that book and talk about what made you sit down and say, you know, I want to write my story. This is the time for me to tell this story. Um, you know, what was the motivation? Thank you so much for that. Honestly, I know you understand what it's like to experience loss. And I had to do my homework about you too. And I'm sorry for the loss that you experienced with Jason. Yeah. And that's, the loss is always the transformational experience, I feel like, that thrusts you into your destiny and your purpose. And Akira Murray, she was actually my sister-in-law, so I actually didn't get to grace that experience with her while she was alive. So my husband is her older brother, and we found love after this whole tragedy. And I talk about it in the book, Survive and Live, the Patience Carter story. And ultimately, it's the beginning from everything that happened before Paul's leading up to that moment in that night. And I feel like I have to just touch on it, but I was there with two friends and we went there, a regular girls night. And then at 1.58 AM, gunshots started going off. And I'm from Philadelphia, which is also nicknamed Philadelphia, but I never experienced gun violence in Philadelphia. My first experience with gun violence was in a mass shooting. So that kind of skewed my view of gun violence a little bit and mass shootings account for 1%, just 1% of gun violence in America. Yet, that's all we see on the news, right? And I'm a mass shooting survivor. So I had this very skewed view of gun violence, but the reality is that the most people affected by gun violence are black people in America, right? And it's everyday violence. It's not just mass shootings, right? So having to grapple with that, that's where I am in 2021, so. So, so I hate to ask for this, but unfortunately it's important to bring people to that night. Mm -hmm. I know you've talked about this on a number of platforms a million times, but street politicians, listeners may not have heard it um, or may need to be reminded. So can you take us back to that night you decided to go out with two friends. What happens? You guys are having a great time. And then what happens? Wow. We were having a great time. That's the most important thing. And anybody can just be out having a great time with their friends, right? At the club that night, it was the best night ever. Like there is like really no other way to say it. It was the best night ever. We had a blast. Akira, Tierra and I were all there for vacation. So I'm from Philadelphia. That was my first time getting on a plane. Wow, wait, wait, wait. So yeah. guys, because when you said you were from Philadelphia early, I was thinking you meant you were from Philadelphia, but you moved to Orlando and you know you, you were living in Florida. 
What you're saying is that you all were on vacation and went out that night as a part of vacation. That was the first night of vacation. Wow. That was night. So I spent, so I, I was actually shot in both of my legs and the bullet that entered my right thigh shattered my femur. So I have a metal rod and screws for the rest of my life. And I actually have a bullet fragment that's going to be there for the rest of my life, unless it gives me problems. But the reality is it was just vacation. It could have been anybody. It could have been any three girls walking into a club from Philly experiencing that situation that night. So, and the fact that I'm even here, the fact that I'm alive, that I have breath, that's a miracle. Yeah. The fact that I'm able to do all this stuff and I wanted to get to it. I definitely want to get to it, but I'm, I'm the impending chief vision officer for the Gun Violence Survivors Foundation. Mm. And I never understood how important it was to have a foundation just solely dedicated to survivors because I thought that there were all these resources for gun violence survivors because my view of gun violence, being a gun violence survivor was in this mass shooting. Mm. So I had this outpour of community love and support from Orlando, but the reality is people experience gun violence every day and they don't get that outpour of love. Mm. They don't get outpour of support. So the Gun Violence Survivors Foundation basically is the foundation that answers those unmet needs, those unseen survivors, those people who feel neglected and feel forgotten. That's what I'm trying to address. And this whole experience has truly just changed my life. And it's so many things that changed my life, especially my brother dying last year at the start of COVID. He was my oldest, he was my oldest brother. He died at 34 years old, but he died with a smile on his face. It was a smile stuck on his face in the casket. And that sparked my spiritual journey. And I know you're spiritual wow. as well. Wow. But that sparked this journey of trying to figure out how can I get this joy, true joy, on the inside of me now while I'm here and service, serving others. <sighs> serving others is the joy. And I get to serve with the Gun Violence Survivors Foundation among so many great people. And I'm honored. I'm truly honored to be here with you, to be able to bring this up and to talk about this. There's no federal funding for gun violence survivor research. Right. There's so no much uh, wow. hashtag and gun violence. Yeah. But as far as gun violence survivors go, and you're a gun violence survivor, you experienced gun violence and you're a survivor. What were the, the, the unmet needs that you may have experienced with less of access to mental health care, free, free just services of talking to someone, Right. And that's the things that people don't have. So yeah. but that's what you're fighting for. That's what we're fighting for. The gun violence survivors. In 2020, there was this spike in gun violence, right? So that also means there's a spike in families that have been affected by gun violence. And there's been a spike of gun violence survivors. So there's this group of people. And Bindu, she's our vice president right now. She's done this research. And there's no federal funding for gun violence survivor research, but she's done this on her own. There's over 1 million gun violence survivors who aren't receiving help, not free health, not free health care, not free mental health care. Even the certain codes for medical billing, they judge in the coding. There's no code for a person that was injured by an assault rifle, but it wasn't their fault. So if it goes under assault in, in the medical coding, you're not going to get reimbursed for your medical bills simply because of the way it's coded. But there is no code for gun violence survivors who just happen to be shot like me. 
who just happened to be in a situation on vacation, who just happened to be leaving school, who just happened to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. But this is the reality of everyday violence. There are people experiencing this, this crime every day and they're not able to get the access to the resource they need. Wow, yeah. that's, 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 really, that's really telling just to understand that just the, the way that word is worded and coded that there's actually no one who's being held accountable or have resources to give you. So just listening to the things, it seems like your life has changed a lot. What, what other ways can you say that since this night your life has changed? Well, and positively, I found love. I'm married now. Uh, my husband, Alex Murray, is, is a miracle in itself. Let me just tell you. So two hurt people are obviously going to hurt people. My husband was struggling with his own loss of his sister. That was his best friend. That was his best friend, right? And I was dealing with being shot in both of my legs, experiencing being held hostage for three hours and having to unravel all the, the PTSD from my own childhood and bringing all of that into one relationship, right? Fast forward, there is life after tragedy. You can find love after tragedy. You don't have to stay broken forever. My husband and I are now two years in, hey, and our anniversary is coming up August 25th. And we, we actually got married at the Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia. And they're a championship team. I don't know, I don't know if you guys know about the Philadelphia Eagles, but um, born and raised in Philly. So I have to shout out the Eagles. And we had our wedding, wedding there and it was beautiful. I'm grateful to have that experience with love because for a long time, I thought I couldn't receive it. And for a long time, I identified with this tragic experience as the only identity that I would ever have. And the reality is this experience has given me so much more purpose. And I've never, honestly, if I look back at me in school and growing up in Philadelphia, I would have never thought that I would be an advocate for gun violence or an advocate for gun violence survivors. And even when my situation first happened, I received so much pushback from conspiracy theorists of just from speaking out, just from saying, sharing my story. And I'm sure you understand what that's like to have a community of people just hating you for no reason. Um, but that scared me away from my advocacy. And to be here now, unafraid, mm. Mm. it feels good. And it feels good to know that nothing is gonna stop me from changing lives, changing lives that I was put on this earth here to do. And that's helping me understand why I survived in the first place. Why did I survive and 49 other people didn't? Why was I hostage and still made it out? I made it out of the club, but I went back in and I still made it out a second time. And that's a miracle. So I'm happy to be here. I'm just so blessed in this moment to be speaking with you guys and sharing this awareness about gun violence survivors and what they need. Why did you go back in the club? What made you go back? One of my friends was still in there. So Akira is the one that did not make it, but she and I both made it out. So we made a decision to walk back into the club for our other friend, Tierra, her cousin. So Akira is shot. You're so, so at this point, none of us were shot. So this is how it happened. It's at 1.58 a.m., shooting started breaking out. I'm scooting on the floor backwards and I feel the ground on my hands because there just happened to be this exit door. And I made it out. And I saw Akira running towards me. I look up at her. Before I know she's over top of me, and I see the sky behind her hair. I'm like, where's Tierra? Tierra was still inside. We have to go get her. Akira runs in. I go in. 
And at that point, we had to make a decision. Everybody was running into the bathrooms. Nobody was running to the exit door. So we decided to follow the people going into the bathrooms. And that's what started the gunfire, the gun actually coming into the bathroom and the three hour hostage wait for the police to come in and get us. And Akira unfortunately didn't make it through those three hours. So you guys made it outside, but your friend was still inside and you got shot when you returned inside to try to find your friend. Wow, I mean, that is, it's, that is such an incredible story. And also I think it speaks so much to your advocacy. The fact that you're going back inside again, over and over again, you're going back inside. I am, I'm just completely, you finished me, I'm finished. Mice, maybe you can help us cause I'm finished. I just, I just think for me, first of all, I just want to just um, commend the bravery. You know, there ain't too many people running back into no club where someone is shooting to get a friend. You know, so that that in that in itself needs to be commended. And I just, and I also just want to say, I'm sorry that you even had to experience that. You know, three hours in in the level of trauma in PSTD. I I know that you had to experience just sitting there. You know, my son makes up words on street. I didn't say PTSD. PSTD. <laughs> well, God, sometimes I make up my words, but PTSD, the level of PTSD that you had to be experienced after sitting in a, a bathroom for three hours shot and trying to figure out, hoping that you actually make it out of there. Well, other people in there shot, some of them who didn't make it, like that in itself is something that I couldn't even fathom having to deal with. So, you know, we just want to say we commend you. And you know, we you also have our condolences and our strength. We just I just wish to have the strength that you have. You know, it's not me, it's not me, it's God. Well, it's listen. God, God is my strength, and mm-hmm. that's what I'm sharing right now. And this is why I'm stepping into this leadership because it wasn't me for mm-hmm. five years. I was crumbling for five years, crumbling, pretending to be healed, pretending to be happy, pretending to be this advocate, right? Now I'm finally where God has designed me to be and it feels great. And I want to share this message with other people like, listen, you don't have to stay broken. You don't have to stay broken. If I can go through what I went through, you can make it through whatever it is that you're going through right now. Wow. Well, we are so thankful, so grateful, so humble, so honored, so blessed to have had you um, on, especially for the first of a now a series for the next several weeks, we're gonna be talking about gun violence. And we wanted to be intentional about uh, addressing women and the fact that women are also impacted because people often see gun violence as just being something that exists within, um, you know, with with our men. Um, and we know that that's not true. We know that women, um, as my son said, become the caretakers of people who have been killed, experience the pain, but also that women actually are victims, physical victims. Um, And to have you on today, to have you here to tell your story, all all that keeps coming to me is that you continue to go back in. 
um, and take some of us with you. Take as many of us as you can back into our communities, back into those difficult places where, where we may sacrifice ourselves. But at the end of the day, what good does it make that we are alive and well and thriving if our people are caught in the midst of such trauma or trapped in trauma, trapped in the bathroom, if you will. Um, and so patience, God bless you. God bless you on your journey. Thank you so much for telling your story today. It's not enough time. We could talk more and more and more, but we appreciate and love uh, you so much. And you always have an audience here at uh, Street Politicians that anytime you want to come back and bring us any information or you want us to share anything, we want to do that to support you. Yes, tell us the name of your book. Where can we get the book? Tell people how they can follow you because you are a leader and you definitely need to be followed. So give all that information so we can share it with the audience. Well, my book, Survive Then Live, is available everywhere. It's survivethenlive.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at P-A-E Carter. That easy. Amen. Well, I'm going to follow you. I'm an avid follower right now. But okay. right now. God, Tamika, I hope you follow me too. <laughs> you know I am. You know no, Tamika, we got to make oh sure. God, I can't hear Listen, please drop drop your information for me in the chat before you go. Thank okay. you so much, patience. Take care. Thank you, patience. Keep doing God's work. That's how we own it. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. You know a spot, but not just a spot. The spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Think Maggie is with us. There she is. You know she's a hot girl. Hot girl summer all day long. Okay. Hot mess right now. No, you're not a hot mess. We just had Patience Murray on um, who attended uh, Wounded But Alive. 
Uh, she was there for an incredible event that you hosted and she just talked about her situation. I mean, obviously, you know the story. She was shot in Pulse nightclub um, mm -hmm. in Florida. Uh, and, but she's now in an organization called Survive, Survive Then Live. Yeah, Survive mm -hmm. Then Live. And she's doing great work. And um, my son and I thought that we didn't, we thought you would come another week. You know, we're doing a series of probably about six shows on gun violence, but we wanted to be intentional by starting with this conversation around how women are impacted because not enough is out there, not enough information, not enough conversations, not enough resources and advocacy. And my son was saying, but well, we need Maggie on. We met patients. Yep. through Maggie and here you yeah. are I am I'm on the side of the highway but I'm here oh well see that's what that's what that's what having friends do your friends pull over on the side of the highway yeah I'm on the side of the turnpike but I'm here we're not gonna keep you on the side of the turnpike we don't want to do that I just want to know Maggie you know we'll we'll fill people in on the details of what happened to you um okay urban plaza it's no urban palace or plaza plaza plaza. Plaza. Mm -hmm. plaza we'll fill folks in on that while you're gone but you started an organization and you brought women together and you've, you've been doing that work along with all the other things that you're involved in why did you why did you decide to start an organization um i feel like when i got shot i couldn't identify with anyone i feel like i was with I was at the time dating someone who also been shot, but I feel like a man being shot or a man being injured is way worse than a woman being injured. And they don't identify with us because, you know, guys just, you know, pick up and they're taught to just shake it off. And we, we deal with our own insecurities daily. I wake up, I'm worried about my hair, my eyelashes, this, that. Now I have a bullet in my leg and a rod from my knee to my hip. And I know I can't run or I can't go to the gym. And it's these self-conscious moments that I felt like I knew it was other women out there that I needed to speak to. Mm. That's so real. That's real. No, no, that's real. And, you know, and I was just saying that there are, we don't really focus enough about how women are, are impacted by gun violence, how women are victims, you know. And I was saying how when we actually went to your event, it was life-changing for me. It were a bunch of women in there that you had to have visible scars and had a lot of different stories that actually had me in tears. You know, mm -hmm. it, was of, it was one of the most life-changing events that I went to. And, you know, and, and I just want to say thank you for having me there. You know, thank you for allowing me to even visualize. Oh, thank you for coming. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a life-changing experience. I just want to know, like, you know, we know that you started the organization. How has it been? Like, because I you, you talk about the trauma and, and way men deal with certain things. How has it been for you just dealing with that situation that happened with you? Well, it's hard. Um, we've been having these rainstorms, I, I'm pretty sure you guys see. And like, so when it rains, my leg malfunctions. Like it gives out at any moment. And then when, it, when I'm running errands, so I have to go to the supermarket or the post office or the bank and I pull up in the handicap and I put my handicap sign in and I got these old people looking at me crazy or regular people looking at me crazy, but they don't know like what I'm going through. So it's hard to like, and then I want to go to the gym. I want to run. I only could do the Stairmaster or, you know, people don't, you know, they don't look at that or they don't understand the daily struggles of not only the scars like I have three scars so I got one covered up with like a tattoo of a feather that was sentimental but 
it's hard. And this is why I wanted to do more in my organization. I actually wanted to start a tour where we can go to different cities and meet women like actual on an actual tour bus and get airbnbs and give them all these services because i just want people to know that we see them these ladies to know it was women there that you know been shot in the face someone got shot when she had a five-month baby and she's paralyzed she had to rock her baby in a in a in a chair so and i know it's women like this all over the world so i just want to be able to reach them because although i may not show it every day in my my socials i am going through exactly what they're going through wow well we want we, Maggie, you know that you you are um, such a beautiful sister, and you're a little sister to us, and we love you so much. And 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 I know the struggle. You know, I've heard mm -hmm. you talk about the struggle of how deep it is, just mm -hmm. the mental space of of having to keep going, but also having that memory of what took place that night. You were just out having a good time. You weren't thinking in any way, shape, or form that you could get shot, that it would be you of all the people. It was, mm -hmm. but it was you for a reason. It was you for a reason because you have the profile and the audience to be able to bring other women together to tell their stories. And, um, and we want to continue to support you. We probably haven't done enough. Let's do more. How can people support you, you and your organization right now? Well, right now we just have our Instagram up, which is Wounded But Alive, WBA. Um, I'm also going to take, now that COVID is like calming down, I'm going to see how to get to different cities and just provide services, local services with the hairstylists and manicurists and massages. And then we all do our healing session where we sit in a group and we just talk and we let it out and then we drink and then we paint. And then we, I just want to do that just in every single state that I can touch because gun violence is, is happening everywhere. And us women are the ones that are being hurt and we have no one to talk to about it. Yeah. Well, we're inviting you publicly to be a part of the state of emergency tour um, until freedom, our organization is our organization is starting a tour very, very soon. And we'd love to have you to join, to be a part of it so that we can help you with some of the costs for what you're doing. Um, and, you know, so that we could help to provide some of the structural resources that you may need to make sure that it is, uh, that it's done properly and that it's done in, in Maggie Carey fashion. I would love that. Yeah. So we need it love to have you to be a part of there are other organizations and individuals who will be joining the tour dealing with many different issues um and to have you to be a part of it would be great as well yes yeah. i would love that i need it and i would love i would love that well once again we want to congratulate you on turning your you know your pain into triumph and a lot of people are not able to do that. Some just waddle in it. You've taken that pain and you've been able to utilize your pain to help other people grow and you know feel comfortable and have a foundation that invites others and show them that they're not alone. So, you know, once again, we love you. So we're gonna salute you. Thank you. you. I love you guys. We love you so much, Maggie. Be safe when you yeah, get off. Get off the highway. We get off the turnpike. Right. You know we're about to start parenting. <laughs> I know. I will. I'll put my signal on when I go out. Please. Sarah will. What is it? Ten and six or something? I don't know which way it goes. And that you look, put the phone down. I am. Go slow. Okay. Probably gotta go fast. We gotta do old school. Put a hand out the window. Put the hand <laughs> out the window. 
So they right. know you coming. <laughs> this is the turnpike. I got to zoom in there. But uh, thank you, guys. I love you. All right. Cool. Yeah. See you, we'll see you later. Right. We'll Bye, you. guys. Yeah. All right. That's how we own it. That was good. I love Maggie. Maggie. I love Maggie down. Huh? Maggie has a beautiful spirit. Does. She's amazing. And Patience also has a beautiful spirit. And I mean, you know, you've been so, you know, uh, impatient in a lot of ways about getting the state of emergency tour up and running. But I think God is like putting all the pieces in place um, because I didn't know Maggie had that concept of taking that event that she did that we attended on the road. And I think it's an important component because you um, and and the brethren, if you will, want to get out there and do work in the community, working with uh, folks to create peace treaties between gangs and other rivaling uh, folks um, and, and really to, to put some boots on the ground and some support for these folks in these different communities. Um, I know that from, from my perspective and also working with uh, Linda and uh, Linda Sarsour, our other co-founder, Angelo Pinto, and of course, Erica Ford and others that are in the work. And now we have uh, the Fun Peace Movement, a part that I would like to have happen on the State of Emergency Tour is helping elected officials and organizers understand how they can come together to create um, you know, crisis management efforts the way that we have in New York City. Um, and then we have Maggie who can help to deal with women. And there are others among us who have different things that they do, you know, looking at the spiritual element, looking at mental health support. So I think the State of Emergency Tour is shaping up and it's going to be something that's really, really powerful. And of course, all of our books will be on display. So folks who have been asking, when are you coming to our cities? They'll be able to have direct access to us across the country as well. Yep. So that was always my vision, man. I knew the state of emergency meant so much more than just one thing. You know, it's gun violence, it's education, it's mental health, it's women's issues, men issues. It's so many, it encompasses so many things. So I'm just glad to see that, you know, soon it'll be taken off and, and we're going to have everything we need to make it successful. Absolutely. So thanks to Patience Murray. Uh, for being on. We've got to bring her back as well. It's almost time for us to start bringing a bunch of folks back because we've been touching on these issues, but there needs to be more time. I think that's the one thing about media is that it does not give an opportunity to really dig deep into the issues, but Patience is such a beautiful person. And of course, our sister Maggie Carey. And as we, as we talk about gun violence, you know what I really just don't get? You know, there's been this online conversation i've been debating and going back and forth about the impact of hip-hop in the violence you know and i and i realized that there is a lot of violence in the hip-hop music but i don't get how people don't understand that the violence of the music is reflection of what people are actually dealing with and i think for me the real problem is not what the music is reflecting because people are going to talk about their reality. Unfortunately, when we look at the drill music that comes from Chicago and we look at those artists, these are artists who are actually engulfed in a street life of violence. This is what they, this is what happened to them. So they're told they're actually living that. And you can tell that by when they actually get their record deal and they get signed, 
that this violence follows them. You know, the street things that they were getting signed for are the things that actually got them killed when they got these record deals. Mm. Right? So I don't get why people don't understand that the reality is that if we don't promote that type of thing, if we're not making artists feel like you're going to be successful when you talk about violence, if we don't put up the videos when such and such is robbing such and such or such and such is shooting that, and we don't talk about it and hype it up and give them some level of credibility and honor for those things, then we can eliminate the need and the actual activity because these young kids that are growing up and they want to get a record deal, you know, and they, and they trying to figure out how do I get out of my circumstances? I'm living in complete poverty and they go to the internet and they see that these big sites and these big um, record labels and things are promoting people who are killing people. Like they see when you go to the, the, the internet and you see that this video or such and such robbing such and such, or this video talking about how somebody killed somebody got 5 million views. And now that same artist that they talking about just got a million dollar record deal. Why you don't think these kids are going to follow suit? Why you don't think that they're going to say, okay, I need to be involved in that. Cause that's what happens in the streets. When you understand street culture, you understand that these young kids look up and they idolize what you say is quote unquote lit and popping. So when you saying the people who are shooting and robbing and killing and doing all those things are the people that's lit, these young 16 and 17 year old kids want to be lit. They want a record deal. So that's why you get the clout chasing. That's why you get the videos every day of somebody saying they're going to shoot somebody, somebody recording a robbery, somebody recording the shooting, and they putting it on the Instagram. We saying they bugging. No, they're not bugging. They realize that this is a recipe to gain money, to gain clout, to gain success. So I don't understand why people don't understand that there is a two-pronged problem. Yes, we have to stop the violence, but we have to stop the people who promote and advocate and celebrate the violence as well. So two things that come to mind. First is how um, much you have evolved because you talked about violence in your music, uh, you know, when you were younger. And while you may still at this point talk about some of these situations, there is an evolution. Right. And so I guess we have to understand, which I know you do, that some of our young people have not evolved and it's not their responsibility as far as I'm concerned. Exactly. I think the second thing that comes to mind is who is the day that that's uh, promoting it. Yeah. That's a conversation people don't like to get into. Of course, you know, we we talk about it often. People don't want to identify they, and you know that that's my new thing. When people ask me, what do I, um, you know, say to young people who are organizing or women, or, you know, what, what do I say to people who are starting out in their careers as I'm speaking across the country, I'm asked that question all the time. Or people will say to me, what has been, you know, one of your biggest challenges in terms of your own growth. And I say that I've had to identify they. I've had to identify they as the oppressor and not just say, oh, it's they as in white people, because that is not an accurate description of who or what 
our oppressor looks like. Um, you know, I've had to identify they in my personal life in terms of those people who may be impacting me and making me feel not so good about myself. I've had to, to identify they online. I've had to identify they in terms of my money. I mean, there has been so many different days, ways, and situations where I've had to get deeper into who is they. Mm -hmm. And in this particular situation, I think they has a, should be or can be identified as some members of the media and also record labels. And in fact, it is also a part of a system that I believe has been designed to keep our people in the conditions in which we fight against every day. Mm -hmm. Why do I say that? Because the more that they can keep us believing that the way to success is through hurting and harming your brother or sister, then they have a strap, if you will, or, or, or a noose on our necks um, because our young people can't see themselves outside of um, violence, outside of drugs, drug dealing, drug use. Um, and, and, and what we know is that while, yes, there's heavy metal rock, while there are other uh, forms of, of, you know, I guess negativity. I'm not going to say heavy metal rock is negativity. I'm just saying sometimes heavy metal rock can have a certain impact. So we've heard on people who are listening to it. Um, but there are other things that definitely happen in white communities that young people get access to and they are, they, and, and it can have a negative impact. But the reality is that if you pay attention to their shows, you pay attention to um, their their uh, pop culture. They do not have an oversaturation of violence and drug abuse and everything that you can think of that is harmful to their community. There is a balance. And most of the time, the balance leans on the side of making sure that a white kid sees themselves with many options and sees themselves in better situations. It is only our communities where when you turn the TV on or you turn social media on, you can find millions of views on fights, on violent situations, um, people using drugs, looking like they're high all the time. And that's what's being promoted. And so I personally think that, yes, there is you absolutely are doing the work of addressing people who have major platforms that are constantly promoting um, this negativity and this, this, this trauma in our communities. And that's important. But I think we also have to look at who is funding those individuals who are out here using their platforms to promote bad things within our communities? Where are they getting their resources? Who are their advertisers? What platforms are they on? So that we can also take our movement and elevate it to a level where one, you and people like you are telling folks that directly this is not good for you, but that there's also a layer of the movement that seeks to attack those people who are actually funding and keeping those individuals um, you know, in, in, in position to be able to tear our communities down. Well, I think I think that definitely needs to be the work. And, you know, today for me, this, you know, the conversation started with DJ Academics, who's somebody that I've always said was 
a cancer to this culture, just the way that he represents. And and it's not just because DJ Vlad is somebody who also advertises negativity and things in the culture too. So we're not just focusing saying that he's the only person who does it, but I'm just saying the way that he does it is exacerbated. It's, it's way different than anybody. Like we we have people that exploit, we like people say Wendy Williams to talk about negativity and we have, we've had, you know, we've had media people who've always um talked about the negativity within exploited the it. exploited right. it and utilized it as their way we had star and buck wow you know stars always done those things there are media outlets who've always done those things but i think when you are someone who's not of the street culture never been in the street you never done anything negative you you had a good upbringing and you utilize your voice you know your privileged voice with a platform of five and six million people to encourage people to quote unquote slide on somebody because he supposedly shot somebody. He looks too comfortable. When these are the words that come at you, well, he's looking too comfortable or he's having a good time. You need to hurry up and slide on him. This is a real beef. People lost their lives in the street already behind this. And you're utilizing your platform to encourage someone to slide. Now, when you don't understand that a young boy who is impressionable, that's in Chicago, that's sitting around, he ain't got $5 in his pocket, and you are advocating, and you played the video from this guy, he's getting these millions of views, you advocate and say somebody needs to slide on him. Somebody sees him as a meal ticket. A young boy who might not have been violent, prior to this conversation, who might not have even thought about that. He's just trying to find his way out, but understands that we're in an era right now to where they promoting everything that's violent. I'm trying to do it the right way. I'm trying to do it this way. And now all I see is being promoted is somebody who slotted or somebody who shot somebody. So now this is my method to get myself out of my reality. It ain't something that I thought about before, but me watching you with all these millions of viewers, I actually think that it's cool. And it's, and the thing is that that's what's going on. I'm watching so-called OGs and Gs co-sign this dude because they want to utilize his platform so that their artists can get promoted. They want him to promote their artists and 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 and, and fuse within it. And this is what this is what's happened within the culture. This is the new way. If you look through, I said it the other day, if you look in Chicago, the only way you getting signed now is if you had a beef with somebody. This is what they signed. They're not signing rappers who have talent and this and that. Your criteria to get signed is that you have beef, you put it on the internet, people know about it, the song, you talk about it, we're going to promote that song, turn it into a song where you get millions, and next thing you know, you got beef, and now when you get shot or killed, all we're going to say is, damn, it's messed up. No, it's not messed up. The, the messed up part is that you advocated, and you promoted, and you agitated a situation that you knew was detrimental. So those are the days, all the people who contribute to that, we need to go after the labels, we need to go after anybody who is going to contribute to the, to the disenfranchisement and the destruction of our culture. And on that, we are done. Yeah. It was a dope show. Shout out to Maggie Carey. Shout out to Patience Murray. Go get her book. Um, please go get her book. She is a survivor. She is a leader. And just see her continue to smile and just wow. live in that grace, you know, after losing her sister-in-law in that situation is a lot. And, and being injured, having rods and things inside her. So, you know, we just got to celebrate her and continue to commend her and support her. Go get her book. And um, once again, we finish another dope episode. I appreciate you. To our fans, we appreciate you for making us the number one podcast in the world. Yes, the number one podcast in the world. It's called Foresight. We will get 
Listen, we number one, man. You see this evolutionary. We are evolving the culture. I'm an evolutionary, evolving the culture, man. Shout out to everybody that supports us. If you got a topic for a show, reach out to us. Let us know. Let us know if you hate us. Let us know if you love us. Whatever we take the hate, we take the love. Everything, we embrace it, man. It's that love for me. It's I love it. The hate turns into love for me. You know what I'm saying? I turn the haters into people who love me every day. So please, give it all to me. And listen, we're not going to always be right. Tamika's not going to always be wrong. But we will both always, and I mean always, be authentic. Peace. Salute. That's how we own it. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.